Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. So Jeremiah is saying we're in this situation because families broke down, our spiritual leaders broke down and our government became dysfunctional. There are plenty of times when leaving the past behind is a good idea, but there's also value in taking heed of our past to help find direction for our future. When Jeremiah was speaking to the Old Testament Israelites, they weren't learning from the mistakes they'd made and they just kept wandering further off track with dire consequences. There are valuable lessons to be discovered tonight as we join Dr. Corbett for Memphis Blues. The, the background here is, as you might recall, uh, Babylon has come in, the forces of Babylon have come in and they have conquered Jerusalem. They've destroyed Jerusalem. They've taken, initially they've taken the cream of the crop, the elite, the intellectuals, the academics, the sons and daughters of the nobles, and they've taken them back to Babylon to work for the Babylonian empire, the Babylonian government. And they left some of the people who were of little value to them. And they, Nebuchadnezzar has appointed Gedaliah as the, the governor uh, over Jerusalem, what's left of Judea. And they, they had set up uh, the governor's residence just outside the city because the city was in rubble. And there was a conspiracy to assassinate the governor, Gedaliah, and, and that happened and Yohanan one of the former military leaders of Judah who had evaded capture has come in and shown leadership to the remaining residents of Judea uh, Judah and has taken uh, Jeremiah as part of that band of people as well and has asked Jeremiah, tell us the word of the Lord. Jeremiah has said, here's the word of the Lord. Whatever you do, don't go down into Egypt. And they've come back to him, uh, Yohanan and the, one of the other leaders, and said, you lie. You lie. God has not said to say that at all. You're just saying that it's not God. And so they've gone down into Egypt and initially everything looks to be fine. Jeremiah has closed the last part of chapter 43 saying that because they have disobeyed the voice of the Lord, they will experience everything that he said would happen to them. And what would happen to them? They have fled Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah has said the very thing which you think you are fleeing will be the thing that will chase you down. And we will see in time, indeed, that is what happens. We won't be given too much detail about it because Jeremiah knows that he does not have long to go before he himself will be killed. And it seems like a tragic end to someone who has served God faithfully. In a moment... In the next few sessions, we're going to see in chapter 45. It's the shortest chapter in Jeremiah. It's one of the shortest chapters in the Bible where his secretary, Baruch, realizes this is it. This is the end. It's the end game. And Baruch is completely caught off guard because he did not see this coming. And he says to Jeremiah, this is it. This is how it ends. 
But I thought we were on God's side. I thought things were going to work out better for us. And there's a whole chapter, it's just a little chapter, where Jeremiah turns his attention not to the nations, not to the kings, not to the world emperors, but to his secretary, Baruch. And he has a very, very profound word for Baruch. But that's coming up. Here we are, Memphis Blues. Now, this if you're thinking that we were going to be talking about a particular type of music out of Nashville, we are not. Memphis Blues. Memphis is today. Anyone know what Memphis is known as today? Memphis today is known as Cairo. So we're going to see this referred to. We're in verse 1 of chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt at Migdol, at Tarpanhez, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. All right. What we're going to see here is Jeremiah, as he is pleading with the people, as he has done all his life, he has pleaded with these people. When God called him from around about the age of 12 to be a prophet to the whole nation, and you can imagine the sight of a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy prophesying on the streets of Jerusalem, speaking to the kings of Israel. He spoke to about four or five kings of Israel as a teenage boy. It's quite amazing. One of the things that we will see, and this will be one of the themes in this passage, is that when God wants to say something to us, he will always remind us of something. In fact, church that God has ordained is meant to be a place of reminding. And if you want to know, if you want to get a clear sense of where your future is going, you probably should be reminded about your past. You see, your past will often inform you about the choices you're going to make and where you can be in the future. And for those of us that that have travelled around this journey a little bit, life, we, we embrace this beautiful way of looking at the past. It's called experience. And it's a fancy word. It means we've made a lot of mistakes and we've learned a little bit from it. So whenever you hear someone say, oh, I've got experience with that, it means they've probably experienced some pain. If you can look back at your past and see, when I chose this course and this went wrong, aha, I'm now faced with a similar choice now. I should learn from my past. And so what we're going to see here is this is what Jeremiah is about to do with his audience he's pleading with them again verse 2 thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel you have seen all the disaster that i brought upon jerusalem and upon the cities of judah behold this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them so jeremiah has just been telling them as i as i mentioned that the very thing you thought you were fleeing from fleeing from nebuchadnezzar and fleeing down into Egypt where you think you'll be safe, you'll actually be overtaken by Nebuchadnezzar and he will do to you the very thing you think you're fleeing from. And in case you think this is just random, Jeremiah is saying, remember, this is what I said would happen to Jerusalem and it did. So he's reminding them. Because of the evil they committed, provoking me to anger in that they went to make offerings... And serve other gods they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. 
Now, if you remember, we've been looking through, over the last four years, the previous 140 parts of this series, we've been looking at what Israel had been doing that so provoked God. We've seen that Israel provoked God because they were practicing idolatry. They were practicing immorality. We saw that Israel had provoked God because they were ignoring his word. So those three eyes, idolatry, immorality and ignorance. And, and it culminated in some of the worst atrocities, which included just outside of Jerusalem in the, in the valley of Tophet, where, where the valley of, of Hinnom, a place called Tophet, where the potters would take their, their wares and they would put them in the kiln there. And we, we saw that, that the inhabitants of Jerusalem had, had succumbed to this idolatrous notion that the sun and the moon were actually gods, Baal and Molech, and that if they offered their newborn children in these potters, in the, the potter's oven, they would somehow receive fertility blessings from these so-called gods. And the result was rather catastrophic, where thousands and thousands of children were slaughtered so that they could have a prosperous and more comfortable life. I mean, can you imagine a society that would slaughter their children so they could be more comfortable and prosperous? What a sick society that would be, eh? Do you notice when Jeremiah sums up all of those things, the idolatry, the immorality, and the ignorance of God's law, he calls it idolatry. The whole thing he calls idolatry. What is idolatry? It's when you worship something other than God, verse 4. This is what God says through Jeremiah to the people. Yet I persistently sent you to, uh, sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, I do not. Oh, I like, did you see that first word? Oh. Now, one of, the, one of my little goals here in presenting this to you this morning is for you to get just a glimpse of the heart of God. What, what, what is this God like who starts a sentence off with the word oh what does it tell you about this god oh it's 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 like a sigh isn't it can you get the heart of god oh do not do this abomination that i hate and what do we see here god's saying you're my people you're it's, it's not like i'm coming to pe- a people who don't know me You are a people who claim to know me. And yet you're showing the world that I'm of no worth, no value. How do you do that? You you go after other gods. You look like you're drawing strength from worshipping them rather than me. You practice immorality, which I told you from the beginning, from the outset of creation. I created you male and female. I brought you into a covenant of marriage so that you would experience what I'm like. Marriage isn't about government regulation. Marriage is about showing mankind what God is like, who God is. Sexuality, Jesus, Jesus said, 
That sex, if you get this wrong, Matthew 15, verse 19, it will defile you and keep you out of heaven. It's not just, sex is not just two pieces of meat slapping together. It's spiritual. And it's meant to show us that two becoming one is kind of like the Trinity where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell in perfect union. And the only... The best way God could help mankind to understand that is he, he created us male and female and gave us the gift of marriage. And Jeremiah says, when you violate that, it's not just being naughty, it's a slap in the face of God. And when you ignore his word, God says he will always raise up people who will speak his word, declare his truth to those who had promised to keep it. The other week, some of us in this room were at an Emily's Voice dinner and we heard the young lady whose face, I believe, appears on the billboard just as we go into our city of Launceston. We heard her story, who when she was 18 years of age, she got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And she said this, it wasn't until afterwards that many in my church and in my youth group said, we could see you were going down the wrong path, but we were too afraid to say anything to you. We didn't want to come across as judgmental, she said. Today, she says, I wish you had. The pain that I have experienced because I did make wrong choices. She ended up getting pregnant. She ended up having an abortion. She ended up having post-abortion trauma, which she still battles with today. Something you don't hear about in the media. She says, I wish someone had just told me straight. And the thing is, God does call people to do that. And here's my question. Perhaps he's calling you. We, we also need people who can do what I'm doing this morning. We need preachers. We, need, we have churches across this nation that are closing because they can't get a pastor. We have churches across this nation that are looking for a pastor and they can't find one. Where are the young men who are saying, God, use me? Where are the young women who are saying, God, use me as your voice? Where are you? Verse 5, but they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Now, it sounds like God is having a whinge. He's reminding them of the history. But this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the heart of God. And I can think of no better illustration in Scripture of capturing that moment, of seeing the heart of God, than when Jesus is before Caiaphas. There's a fire going. It's a cold night. There's Peter warming his hands by the fire. One of the servant girls comes up and says, you were with him. You were with him. You're a disciple of Jesus. Remember what Peter said? No, I'm not. Yes, you were. I can tell by your accent. He denied it again. Then she said, no, I'm convinced of it. You're a disciple of Jesus. And at that point, he began to, the scripture says, swear. Something a Christian shouldn't do. And he began to deny it and swear. And just as he did, Jesus turns around and looks at him. Peter did not care anymore about what he had done. He cared about whose heart he'd just broken. 
And it wasn't about his heart. It was about the heart of Jesus. And it says, Jesus saw him and then Peter got up and wept. The scripture puts an adjective how he wept. Anyone remember the adjective? Bitterly. Thank you, Sean. He wept bitterly. Why? Not because he'd broken a law, but because he'd broken the heart of God. Have you ever experienced the heart of God? Have you ever done something wrong and thought, oh boy, I don't get caught for this without realizing there is someone looking at you? How does the one who already has found out feel about how you've just misrepresented them? So sin is not just a matter of breaking God's law as it is breaking God's heart. And I wish if you take nothing from this today, please take that. The God who starts off his his appeal to his people with a sighing oh is a god whose heart is breaking a god whose heart has been broken by human sin therefore verse 6 my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of judah and in the streets of jerusalem they became a waste and a desolation as it is this day you see Sin, as we're going to see in a moment as well, sin not only harms us, it harms those around us. And, and this, this justification for sin, you hear people say this who have no reference point for God. They say things like this, as long as you're not hurting anyone. You've heard that? As long as you're not hurting anyone. Here's the problem. It doesn't encompass or show any appreciation for what that word hurt means. Because hurt is not always what we see. Some people can be really hurting and you can't tell. But, this, but hurt they are. Verse 7. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman and infant and child? See the people who are hurt? Your sin, your innocent supposed sin has hurt, let's see, yourselves, men, women, infants and children from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant verse 8 why do you provoke me to anger do you get that do you get that god is not just a rule keeper a rule giver he's not just the lawyer the law giver he's a god who has a heart that feels anger and disappointment and ache as well as limitless love in fact, I'm going to suggest to you, you cannot feel true, genuine anger. You cannot feel true, genuine disappointment unless you love. Anyone ever been close to someone who's hurt them? You'll know it hurts more. And why? Because you love them. Well, imagine a God of limitless love, how much... He can love, but now imagine how much he can be hurt because he does. 
Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among the nations of the earth? Now, here's something we're going to see in the next, just the last couple of verses here. And it's a point that I really want you to get and understand. God has ordained three institutions to curb human wickedness, to to curb evil in society. And we need all three. And we need all three to be vibrant, uncompromising and godly. Here they are. Number one, God has ordained the family. And this will come out in the next couple of verses where... He talks about this. God has ordained the institution of family. So when, when mankind sinned, God had already set in place a plan to help curb that. It was called marriage and family. You see, people aren't just born like in the Matrix. You know, they're just randomly born in some kind of baby machine, baby factory. People are born to a mother and a father, a father and a mother to be in order. And it's the role of father and mother to shape their children they they become the influence for keeping their children from committing evil and wickedness i mean can you imagine how children would grow up if they didn't have a father and a mother working to that end children would become selfish they would become convinced that they're the center of the universe they would be disrespectful to authority They would try and get away with as much as they could. Am I describing the present age? When we demean the role of father and mother and demean marriage, there's there's so much more at stake. This is the first institution that God established in Scripture. It occurs in the second chapter of the Bible. What's the next institution that God has ordained to curb evil? We find it mentioned in First Peter, sorry, First uh, Timothy, uh, chapter two and verse fifteen, I believe, where it says uh, three fifteen describes the church as the pillar and ground of truth. So it holds it's the, it, it's that which holds up the truth. See, God has called the church to be something which curbs people from evil and wickedness. It takes courage to to be someone who can preach and i want to inspire more people to have that courage and become preachers and to be able to be a part of this institution that god has ordained and the third institution that god has ordained to curb evil and wickedness in society is government do we need our politicians to be godly no 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 no. sorry let's try that again we'll edit that bit out let's try this again Do we need our politicians to be godly? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. And don't fool yourself into thinking that family doesn't matter, church doesn't matter, and government doesn't matter. Because God has ordained all three. Romans chapter 13 verse 1, it says something like this, God has ordained government. Just in case you're a little bit vague on that. So if God has ordained the ones who, Romans 13 says, bear the sword, in other words, they bear governmental authority, it goes on and says you have nothing to fear from them. Why? Because they're only there to curb evil. And if you're not doing evil, evil, you've got nothing to fear from them. So God has ordained these three institutions. And perhaps God is going to raise up more and more people 
who will be a part of the first institution. I hope so. And maybe there are some here that God will call you into the second institution to be a part of the church where you will exercise authority and help discipline, pastor and shepherd people. It's a high calling. And then maybe there are some here and God will call you into politics. We need godly people in politics. We have some. We need more. Verse 9. Have you forgotten, see, what I said about reminding? God is continually reminding. Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings? All right, there's government, the leaders. So fathers, there's your family uh, uh, of Judah. The evil of their wives. So there's fathers, wives. Your own evil, the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. So we've seen throughout Jeremiah that these three institutions, the family was broken down, spiritual leadership was appalling, and those who were charged to govern the people well, the kings and princes, were corrupt. And when those three institutions are broken, there is little hope society little hope someone has got to step up verse 10 they have not humbled themselves even to this day and that's what it's going to take and that's what i'm going to appeal to you to respond to today every one of us in one way or another needs to repent and the fact that you need to repent and i'm telling you you need to repent will cause some of you to go i do not And I'm going to say the way you can tell if pride is in your heart, that's probably your response. You see, God says they didn't humble themselves. Even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Wow. So Jeremiah is saying we're in this situation because families broke down. Our spiritual leaders broke down and our government became dysfunctional. That's why we're in this situation. Remember why they're here? They're here because they want to flee Nebuchadnezzar. They think they're going to escape him. And what we discover is they don't. They don't. He comes, he overtakes them. And they die. They thought that if they did this, even though God said, don't do that, do this. They thought, oh, what would God know? I'll do this and then I'll be happy. And they did this. And it looked like initially, yes, it's working. I feel so much happier now that I'm fully and completely and utterly disobeying God. But it was very short lived without god any pursuit of happiness can only lead to frustration it can only do so scripture says it in a couple of different ways here's one way it says it proverbs 14 and verse 12 there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is death it's the way to death proverbs 10 verse 24 says what the wicked dreads comes upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted church here's my appeal to you today 
Let this be the beginning of a new day. Perhaps you have been so hustled, so bustled, so rushing, so hurried that you have neglected God's word each day. Can you make a decision right now? Repent. I'm calling you to repent. Perhaps you've had people who have challenged you about your relationship with Christ and you have, like Peter said, oh, I'm not that much of a Christian. I'm not a fanatic like them. May you see the gaze of Christ's eyes into your soul and feel his heart. Maybe you've heard the call, come. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Come closer and follow me. And you've said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Quite happy where I am, thanks. I'm calling you to repent. I'm asking you to stop and turn from your wicked ways and turn to him. And I'm asking you this day to say, God, use me. Help me to find my truest, greatest happiness, satisfaction and fulfillment in knowing you and seeking you. And I hope that's your prayer. When anyone lives without God and pursues their own happiness, they will be frustrated. We need to learn from our past to influence our future. More from Dr. Corbett next week with No Place to Hide. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Memphis Blues, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.